To another Wednesday night edition of the Brisbane Football Review. Good evening, everyone, and it's safe to say it's going to be a fairly cheery edition of the show with James Scott, Adam, and Campbell Johnson, the fourth man in today, as we're recapping the Raw's 2 1 win barely five minutes ago over the Newcastle Jets down in the Hunter. So I'll start with you, Campbell. I met you once before doing commentary with you for Football Queensland, so we're glad to have you on board. Yeah, cheers for having me. Yeah, it was good fun and I can't wait to be on. I'm honoured f- for being on the show. Uh, thanks for having me, Jens. You won't be saying that in about 45 minutes. I can <laughs> guarantee <laughs> Honoured. We've never heard that before. That's definitely a first episode thing, isn't it? That goes away really quickly. Yeah. Uh, I'll take 10 minutes before the optimism is gone. Adam, how are you going? I'm good. Uh, it's good to see uh, Raw go back-to-back wins, even though it's 18 days apart, but we'll take them. It was well worth the wait, right, Scott? It certainly was. It was a good performance. Let's talk about it. Definitely. Okay, this is Brisbane Football Review. Uh, email brisbanefootballreview at gmail.com if you want to send in any comments, questions, discussion topics. Just make it feel like someone actually wants to interact with the show. Facebook, The Raw Review. We're still working on changing that to Brisbane Football Review. It's been five years. Maybe something will change soon. Twitter, at BNE Football. Uh, on those social accounts, you can find our live coverage of every Raw senior match, A-League, W-League, and... All sorts of local football content as well. On top of that, uh, yeah, if you're listening to the podcast on Wooshka, iTunes, Spotify, feel free to leave a rating and a review. And for now, we're going to get right into our A-League recap. It was a 2-1 win for the Raw. Riku Danzaki opened the scoring in the 6th minute. Valentino Ewell in the 38th responded for the Jets. Before Dylan Wendell-Halls proved to be the match winner just on the hour mark. And Campbell, we'll go straight to you. What were your thoughts on the match? Yeah, no, it was a really good performance uh, from the Raw. I mean, it was a, it was very direct play as we've seen often by them, I think, this season. And I think they struggled a little bit in defence, which is a bit un- uncharacteristic for them. Um, you know, Newcastle put on the pressure a lot, a uh, lot of balls into the box uh, and really challenged freaking goal uh, on his debut, forcing him to come out of the box. But, you know, it was still a decent performance, I think. Yeah, look, uh, the Raw, it was a, look, it was a good performance. Probably not as um, sort of complete as probably the victory were, but obviously, again, as, we, as I said at the top, you know, 18 days, you know, between games, there was always going to be a little uh, little bit of rustiness. But, um, yeah, look, they did well, and in, in the end, the result was um, probably sort of more prized than the performance, because the performance, you know, it was okay. It feels like it was something that built on what we saw uh, from the Raw as a whole last season, where... The performances might not have always been the prettiest, but they did have that sort of resilience, Scott, to just generate result after result. Yeah, that's the key word there, resilience, because this was always going to be a pretty tough game despite what the table tells you. Newcastle, they're, they're pretty desperate at the moment. Having, I think this is their fourth straight home game from memory, and they've now lost all four of them, so they were always going to be a really desperate side. I thought the Raw's defending was also equally desperate to deal with that. I thought Macaulay Gillespie was absolutely fantastic out there, so in the way he was cutting out a lot of things, and he and Alder really did help protect and get Macklin Frank through that game. No, I thought he was really good as well. So I thought the defending was quite good. I thought offensively, that's probably where the 18-day break kind of told a bit, where they weren't quite as fluent as they were against Victory. I thought that's something they can work on going forward. But after 18 days off, to get through the game the way they did, I thought they did quite well. 
they had those moments of build-up play where you could see them trying to put together those like insanely intricate passing moves all across the pitch. I think, was it uh, Danzaki who had the back heel in his own box? Which, look, I'll admit that made me pucker up in more than a, in more than one way. But it was good seeing them, you know, still having the confidence to try that. And I suppose a bit of rust is inevitable. And we may as well go to the big story leading into this match. And that was the debut of Macklin Freak, who came in for an injured Jamie Young. Yeah, look, I thought he had a good um, performance. Uh, like I said, it was put under pressure. Not only um, a couple of sort of, you know, hairy moments, especially in the, in the second half, uh, but also as well, I think Newcastle did quite well. Uh, Valentino Yule for Newcastle was, you know, electric on that um, left wing and sort of really him and uh, Remy Nagyri on the other side, they really sort of put pressure on. So, so yeah, look, I thought he did well Um well on the pressure, especially his first game. But look, for those that have followed the Raw for years, followed his track through the academy and whatnot, we're not surprised that, you know, that he performed as well as he did. But um, yeah, look, he'll only, he'll only get better. That's that's the key to it all. And he, he was put under a lot of pressure by the Jets. They basically just de- declared open season on the uh, corners there, especially Campbell. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Rami Najarine's uh, delivery into the box on those corners throughout the whole game really, really did test him. I thought he did grow into the game and became a little bit more vocal, as you'd probably like to see from your number one. But I think he didn't have enough aerial presence for me. Um, I thought he was good um, on the tight shots and the close shots, but in terms of his aerial presence, he didn't really cut the mustard for me. He kind of slapped at the ball, didn't claim it as much as I'd like, um, and punches were a bit weak, but um, there's only up for him, really. And I couldn't agree with you more on that there, Campbell. I think he he was very, very hesitant. And overall, yeah, you're right, especially on those corners, he was quite, I suppose, timid coming for them. But I do wonder how much of that came down to the fact that he had a very experienced central defensive pair in front of him in Gillespie and Tom Aldred, who basically said, look, just play within yourself. We'll take care of the rest. Because I can imagine that's the sort of protection you would want to offer your young goalkeeper. It certainly is. You always want to give... If you've got a young goalkeeper coming in, you want to have an experienced, solid back forward heavy. And in terms of the A-League, this is probably the best you're going to find with Hingit, Brown, Aldred, and Gillespie. Tremendous experience in all four of those players, both domestically and abroad, but to centre-back. So you had that there. I actually thought he did quite well. I thought the save he made on O'Donovan midway through the first half, mm, that quick yes. reflex save, well, that would have say that really did settle him down. When he conceded that goal, I didn't think he had a lot... Not a lot he could do with that. It seemed like that was double, that was lost before it got to him, but that did seem to rattle him a bit, I thought. I thought in the second half, some of the clearances from the corners, because he did get it at the, the bombardment, which we've talked about from Nazarene coming in. I thought a couple of those he was a bit shaky getting to, but I thought for a first-up performance from a young kid stepping in, I thought he did quite well. And just on that uh, corner that the Raw conceded as well, I thought that was an amazingly well-worked combination of set pieces there from the Jets because Najarine's delivery just before that, it was going in. He ha- uh, Freak had to go and tri- uh, tip that one over the bar and it was almost like he was a little bit too wary for that second one, but it was just a well-constructed run to the near post there by Yule. Yeah, Yule managed to get away from his man. I think someone who was poor and was actually marking him at the time was Ramat Akbari, who I thought for probably for the third game in a row has been really underwhelming for me. Um, and, you know, he just lost Valentino Yule. Really, really nice run from him. Um, but it's on the defender to stick with him and just didn't. He rose above the pack and chucked it in. I thought it was a good header, good header and a well-worked goal, though. Overall, actually, on Akbari, it did kind of feel like the raw midfield did 
was second best in this match overall. And we did see the uh, Raw change things up with the substitution in the second half there with Kai Truen coming on and uh, Riku coming off. And that, to me, it almost made them uh, switch to almost a 3-4-3 setup with those uh, extra centre-backs, Adam. Yeah, um, but I think also as well, sort of in the build-up to that, you could ju- you could just see that um, the Raw weren't making inroads. And there was, funnily enough, it was just before the the, the goal. That's and that, the the what would be the game-winning goal would be so well worked by Scott McDonald to put Dylan Windsor Halls through it was because it looked like that the base of the th- center three from the um, from Newcastle just stuff in the box basically and making sure there's no one through. So it was more of a case of trying to balance it out as far as you know having sort of. Um, trying to get the numbers uh, sort of back back to where it uh, was, you know, even again. So, but look, um, I think it was a good move and it just shows that, you know, Warren Moon definitely looks like, you know, he's, he's able to sort of be flexible with his game plans and that, that certainly was um, proven. Well, I was honest, I'm honestly still getting used to the fact that the Raw have got a manager that is so tactically flexible and willing to change things up because, look, even going back to the likes of, you know, Ange Postacoglu, and before that, Frank Farina, those managers said, no, we're going to win my way. And that's probably been the most impressive thing that I've seen from Warren Moon with his team this season. He's really done a great job making those adjustments, and that could turn out to be a huge strength. But, you know, I, I can't spend all the time Ange praising Warren Moon. Ange did change it up, actually, in the second season. After they lost five in a row, he changed it up a bit there as well to go to a three at the back briefly. But mostly those managers did of... stand by their original idea. I did think... It was interesting the way Warren did change up, and I thought that was really, really effective to basically go man on man at the back and allow them to match up better. And I thought that I think Valentino, if they play him through the middle and find another winger, they might actually have a bit of success because the number nine at the moment is absolutely, absolutely hopeless. So Donovan, he's, all I he was a non-factor tonight, yeah. and that was a that was a blessing yeah. for the Raw. They were able to cover Yule because he wasn't doing anything. Overall, I just kind of felt like the carbon rod. Yeah, he got the yellow card early on and just didn't have that same sort of impact that you know, he might have been hoping to do against his former club, but that has to be a testament for the Raw central defenders as well, just how well they were able to contain him because I don't know, it's just horribly out of form. Well, yeah, I mean, Macaulay Gillespie was probably one of my best on ground, um, along with Tommy Aldred. I thought Gillespie dealt with everything in the air really well, got rid of it, um, nice and composed, didn't really um, panic too much. And, you know, Roy O'Donovan has not been his former self for a while, arguably even since he was at the Raw, he wasn't the greatest, and then he got, you know, moved away, and yeah. A yeah, great bit of business as well for the Raw to be able to move him on and get Scott McDonald in, because I'm not sure that second goal actually happens if it's Roy O'Donovan up front. I'm not sure he's the sort of player who would see that opportunity and be able to play that ball to Wenzel Hawes. Look, that combination from McDonald and Wenzel Hawes is growing quite nicely. Yeah, and well, look, let's talk about that second goal then, Adam, and it was a reward for the just phenomenal nights running by Dylan Wenzel Halls, and it was set up by an inch perfect pass there by Scott McDonald. Look, it was a great pass, great finish. I think that's all, all you can say about that. Dylan Dylan Wenzel Halls, he had a lot to do still when he got put in the clear by Scott McDonald, and you know going low and and across cross Jack Duncan, and for it to go in the uh, side netting as far as inside to go, mind you. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was a great finish and uh, well-deserved because he, he, um, he was very good, I think, for the whole game as well. Um, 
here you'll see Rand's guts out and um, yeah that and his um, little sort of banter war with um, Valentina Yule which is probably another uh, highlight of the night but uh, yeah look a great fish and um, those two players are the golden boot leaders at the moment is he in Oli Roos contention it. yet boys or not because you pair had him for Campbell's benefit uh, James and Adam had him not in contention for the Oli Roos squad for Tokyo 2020 Ooh. plus one at the start of the year he's in great form at the moment Okay, I've got to, I've got to defend myself. Based on what we saw in the last season uh, with the Raw for Wenzel Halls, I did not think he was. However, this leads in perfectly to what I was actually about to ask you guys anyway. How much progression have we seen from Wenzel Halls this season as well? He's adding that extra layer to his game of uh, that nuance that we've been wanting for so long. Okay, Campbell, I can see you're chomping yep. at the bit. We'll go to you now. <laughs> oh, I love Dylan Wenzel Halls so, so much. I think he is... At the moment, probably the X Factor for the Raw. I mean, the goal he scored against Victory, I mean, come on. How good. And the goal today was fantastic as well. Got an assist as well. I mean, when you see... And you talk about the progression. Last year, he played um, on average 43 minutes a game. Um, and this year, he's playing 84 minutes a game on average. Um, obviously, he didn't go... Well, he got subbed off at the end today. So that just shows how much faith Warren Moon is having in him. Um, he's... If you look at all the stats in terms of shots per 90... Shots on target per 90. He's second amongst all players in shots per 90 with five, nearly five. So he's really taking a lot of shots and it, it's paying off for him and his dribbling is insane. Yeah, well, I think the one thing that we are seeing is that um, an end product from Dylan Wenzel Halls. We always knew and we always knew that you know, he had that finish. He had that sort of, you know, that, that dribbling, you know, great, great skill and whatnot, but just lacked that finish. At, the, at this level, and we're starting to see that now, and that you know, that can only be a, a benefit. As far as sort of, you know, as Ollie Roo's prospects go, look, he's in great form, and if, if Graham Arnold's picking the side based on form, look, he's got to be a chance. Nice backpedaling, guys, but actually, I think it actually goes back to... What we do. I think it goes back to last season, actually, think about when Warren Moon first came in. He made that change almost immediately in his first game in charge. He took Merz Muradovic out of the side and put Dylan Wenzel Halls back in, and you remember back to the end of the back end of last season, he was starting to show this type of form back then, so a bit of faith and confidence shown in Dylan, and now that's being rewarded in spades this season. I can't believe something, you know, that seems so simple to, you know, four idiots watching it from their couches. <laughs> like, it, how simple this can seem to us, but it's just smart management from Moon once again. Like, I talked about his switch to the back three earlier. Keep in mind as well, like, he's asking Wenzel Halls to do what Wenzel Halls is good at, and I, I, I can't believe that that is a novelty nowadays but go figure it, it comes down it comes down to the fact is that you know Warren Moon he knows his players and he trusts his players and that's something that we we have not seen for a while um, in in you know, raw management you know as simple as that you know he, he knows he knows what Dylan Wenzel Halls did as a you know a semi a semi pro player you know in the MPL and you know and obviously he, he's backed him you know at A league level and you know he's either going to swim or sink and at the moment he's swimming he's swimming Olympic laps and look, I just want to jump in quickly. I feel like I can almost guarantee that had Moon and Wenzel Halls both stayed in NPL a little bit longer, it was a near certainty that Moon was going to try and sign him for Lions, wouldn't it? Isn't that right, Campbell? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, he was sensational at the NPL level and got obviously you know, swept up by the Raw. But that's what I'm loving so much about this Brisbane Raw side is they're really and Warren Moon as the manager. You know, they're really buying into this Queensland, you know, bred talent. I mean, you see Jesse Daly coming in. He played fantastic today for me um, on his starting debut. The Freak. Everyone, and I really like that about this squad, is it is really local. There's no real 
talisman or marquee signing per se, like maybe some of the other sides have of these international talents. Um, obviously, we've seen two Japanese players come in this year, but primarily the squad is made of Queenslanders and it's performing well. And just on that as well, one thing I noticed when uh, Masato Kudo came on for his debut, Scott, that is player number... 174. 174 for the Raw, there we go. Um, in the A-League, that is, not... Uh, for the whole men's team. Yeah, for the whole men's league. team. Yeah, men's whole team. Team. Um, yeah, when Kudo came on, I noticed as well, on the Raw uh, coaching staff gear this year, and possibly fan gear whenever it does happen to make it into Rebel Sport, maybe by March, who knows... Uh, I've noticed they've started putting established 1957 on there, which I believe is the year Lions was founded as Hollandia. So perhaps even more like tapping into that Queensland uh, identity, Adam. Yeah, um, I, I didn't believe you when you, th- when you said to me, yeah, while well, we're watching the game, I could get to freeze frame it and check and I'll be damned, established 1957. So, yeah, um, obviously the Raw are finally sort of, you know, acknowledging their historical link with Hollandia and, and uh, Queensland Lions. And, um, yeah, look, I know we've debated that before on the show, back on the archives. I can't remember what the outcome was, but, yeah, that's a very, very sort of, you know, eagle-eye pickup because I certainly didn't uh, pick it. I miss that Wenzel Halls had the assist for Riku's goal, but I noticed they had 1957 on the gear, so... Picking up all figure. the important details, clearly. <laughs> yeah, I reckon Warren Moon had something to do with that, potentially. Definitely. Um, yeah, so, at the end, though, like, that was the other thing that was really surprising. So, look, once again, phenomenal finish by Wenzel Halls to give the Raw the lead. And, look, it was a, uh, it was a bit of a surprise seeing the Raw bring on Kudo. I suppose... It was just introducing him to A-League football, but they sat so deep there and were just happy to absorb the pressure. I don't know if that was... Uh, as I don't know if that was more Moon saying, ah, screw it, we can handle it, it's only the Jets, or a case of, no, 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 like, we just need to shore things up. I, I feel like that could have been taken either way. Oh, yeah, well, I mean, the Jets were looking solid going forward. I think they had the better of the chances. I think they had more chances... So I think it was more just shoring things up and going, hey, let's just ride this win out. We don't want to give anything away late. Yeah, I think they were also comfortable as well. Aldrin Glitz were dealing with everything in the air. Macklin Fraker got back a bit more confidence at that point as well. So they were a lot more confident in what they were doing. And I also think Kudo gave them, firstly, a taste of him in the A-League, but also a bit more of a threat on the counter-attack as well. So I think they were sitting back, but they also had enough of a threat on the counter to have something that went their way. So I just think... They were comfortable in seeing the game out, and they did it quite well. Because yeah, even uh, for that whole last 10 minutes of, of crossing the box, I mean, there wasn't anything really there that, that came as an actual clear-cut chance. The best they had was a bit of a snapshot from Conor O'Toole from the edge of the box. So if that's the best the Jets could come up with in the last 10 minutes, I thought that the Raw defended quite well there. Yeah, there really wasn't a whole lot um, to feel nervous about, but it, it did seem like it was going to take something out of the pattern of the game that we'd seen to get the Jets back into it. And I thought that was a really encouraging sign how calm the Raw looked. Yeah, um, like I said, I was a bit surprised, you know. Um, I was thinking only, only Warren Moon and his sort of, you know, being, being an old striker himself, you know, with 10 minutes to go <laughs> and you know, up by a goal that he'd bring a striker on for a striker. But look, that, but also you can also translate, as I agree with you boys, that, you know, it's a sign sh- of confidence that, you know, obviously rather than trying to throw another body in to try and, you know, to to sort of you know, slow it down and uh, and quell that you know he's backing the players he has out there to do to finish the job, especially specialist defenders that have been defending all game. 
Yeah, it's a good point, because normally you'd see coaches in that situation that bring on a Jordan Courtney Perkins who was available on the bench to come when you throw him back into the defensive, center defensive, and just have another big body in there. But he, it was a show of faith in that defense, and again, it paid off really well. And Moon only made two changes in the match as well, if I remember correctly. Again, I noticed the stupid things on the uh, coach's kit, but <laughs> I'm trying to remember now how many subs they made. Yeah, it was only two. Well, the Jets okay, made four, you, so that's three each on aggregate, all right? Okay, there we go. <laughs> But that that also says a lot in terms of Moon saying, all right, I'm going to trust the guys that have been out there. And, yeah, I think overall like, it was a good team effort. And I would have loved to have seen Keegan Yelisic get a run. Like I, I saw him in the NPL this season, and he looked like he was already head and shoulders the most creative player on the pitch in every uh, young rule game that I did. And, you know, obviously Courtney Perkins as well. But Kai Truard really seems to be earning... Uh, fairly, he seems to be earning quite a lot of Moon's trust as well, being that extra defender to come on. Yeah, um, uh, look, I, I'm I'm almost certain, you know, if Keegan Yelchich is getting picked on the bench for an away game, um, he'll get his chance, as will Courtney Perkins uh, as well. I think, um, obviously, the games at the moment, they're going to... They're sort of spaced out, but at, at some point they're going to come thick and fast, and he's going to need, and Warren Moon's going to need the whole squad to be sort of up and running. So, look, I think if it's a slowly, slowly approach, especially with the young guys, um, like Alex Parsons as well, was was named in the squad but was omitted. Um, so, and no, we haven't seen Danny Kim yet um, come back since round one. So, um, so yeah, I think it's a case of yeah, it, it, they'll they'll get their chances. I'm sure we'll see Keegan Yelchich, you know, a uh, Kiwi underage international and um yeah look he's a hell of a prospect and like we've seen him at mpl level not only for uh the young raw this year but also well last year but also uh for lines in the um mpl finals the previous year yeah absolutely i'm sure all these players will get their their chances and you know i was a little bit skeptical of the uh tro and sub for dan zaki because i thought he was looking really good and yet someone who i thought wasn't looking that great was akbari still was on the pitch um but it turned it turned out to be a good substitution you know he was subbing on a defender when they were one one um well one apiece and i thought it was a little bit of a negative signing when it happened like we're just playing for a draw but it turned out once they got the goal gave them great flexibility to play three at the back and push hingott and brown forward or put five at the back and soak up the pressure so um i'm sure these players will get their chance and i'd like to see more out of masada kudo going forward keegan will definitely get his chance at some point because that's what warren's about it's about giving young queensland talent that earns the opportunity, that opportunity. So he'll get his chance. And Kai and earned that opportunity in preseason. He was a regular starter in pretty much every single game the Royal played in preseason. So he earned that opportunity over the course of the preseason. So when again, if you're a young player and you earn your opportunity, you're going to get it. Definitely. And he he was deputising for Tom Aldred, who didn't really play much in preseason as well. So that would make a lot of sense. Okay, we are going to move on. I did remember... This week, I didn't have to get uh, Scott or Adam to hold up the sign to the camera that says, hey, we've got to do the player votes. So, I'm going. So it's my week to do the A League player votes. And, Campbell, just for good fun, we'll get you to do your 3 2 1 as well. Uh, my 3 2 1s, three points for Macaulay Gillespie. I thought, once again, standout performance at the back in a game where you really did need him to come up big. Uh, two points, Dylan Wenzel Halls. I don't want to know how many Red Bulls or Nodos tablets he takes before the match. <laughs> However, and I said this to you, Scott and Adam, uh, during the game, I feel like if one or two things went uh, just a bit differently, Wenzel Halls would be the perfect Wallaby scrum half, just with the amount of niggling he does during a match. <laughs> he is a pest. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I will love him as long as he's a pest for the Raw. The yep. minute he goes to Sydney FC or follows the well-trodden highway of Raw to Melbourne victory, he's dead to me. <laughs> and one vote, I've got to give it to Scott McDonald. He didn't necessarily have his most active game, but he he was the one really leading from the front. And I thought his organisation and just that pass to set up the Wenzel Hall's goal, you can't help but uh, give it to him there. All right, Campbell, you're three, two, one. Yeah, awesome. Um... Obviously, I've listened to the show. I had it written down before, boys. So, oh, well uh, done. Don't you worry. Don't you worry. This will be the um, tiebreaker so, yeah. now, by the way. If it's a tie between the three of us, this is now the tiebreaker. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. There we go. Uh, so I gave my three votes to Dylan Wenzel-Halls. I thought he's, he's just had such a great form recently. And today, a goal and an assist. I mean, you can't get much better than that, to be honest. And a great goal and a great assist. I thought the first assist, great bit of dribbling to get out of trouble and a brilliantly weighted pass. I mean, the goal was a little bit lucky from Danzaki with the deflection, but a goal's a goal's a goal. Um, and then my second vote, uh, or two points, uh, go to Macaulay Gillespie. I thought, yep, just really assured at the back, solid as a rock. Can't really fault him for anything. Uh, and I gave one vote to Jesse Daly, um, starting his first game in midfield, um, not coming off the bench. And I thought, yeah, he just did his job. He looked really surprisingly physical for someone who's not that huge. You know, he put uh, Rami Najarin, you know, he gave him a bit of shoulder and whatnot. So he, he was physical enough. Um, he looked really composed and calm, moving the ball forward. Um, and for me, the Raw's weak point this year has been the central midfield position. Um, and I think he shored that up a little bit, and I'd like to see more from him. Yeah, no, no dramas with that. Scott and Adam have recorded their votes as well, but we only release one of the three every episode. So... That's pretty much going to be it for the player votes. Now, for the Raw, up next, there is no match this weekend, presumably because the border situation is still just completely up in the air. So they can sit back and watch the five matches that are on this weekend, including the Australia Day clash between Melbourne Victory and Perth Glory instead of Victory Sydney because of the wonderful COVID situation that we're dealing with. Their next match will be in match week six, uh, Saturday the 30th of January at home, Dolphin Stadium against Adelaide United, 8.15pm kickoff. So it might actually be the first time we need to break out those raw hoodies up at Redcliffe because <laughs> I'll tell you what, I, I know I'm going to keep saying this all season, but that place can get cold no matter what time of year. No, 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 definitely it's, it's jacket weather at Dolphin Stadium at 8pm any time of year. It's going to be jacket weather for sure. Should be a good game yeah, though, because Adelaide got started off pretty well this year, and the Raw have now won two of their first three, so it should be a pretty good game as well. And also, oh, yeah, and also as well, just a reminder as well that uh, the, there might be a bit of an issue with uh, public transport because, uh, in their infinite wisdom, Queensland Rail have basically um, are doing rework on the track the track works for the whole north north. Um, North of uh, area, north of Bowen Hills, so it'll be rail buses all driving to. Um, You're the to mayor of Mount Bad. I'm sort this out. Hey, it's a, that's, <laughs> that's a state government problem, not a local problem. Uh, Just get your ass we... to, to Morton Bay. Well, I will certainly be doing my best to do that on the following Saturday, the 30th. Uh, this is probably also a good time to plug something that the Raw Supporters Federation have organised, which is carpooling to matches. So check out Raw Supporters Federation on Facebook and they will presumably be doing their carpooling organisation once again for that. Now, because this is a post-match show slash episode 7 of the Brisbane Football Review, we're not going to take a break. We're just going to keep going straight into the big news story that's come out 
this week, and that is the AAFC have laid out their preferred roadmap for the National Second Division, or as I'm going to continue calling it, the National Second League, saying that the framework is there and uh, the AAFC chairman, as I just confirm his name there, Nick Galatis on uh, the World Game today, has said that it is doable and doable now. So, Campbell, we've talked about this quite a lot, so I'm going to throw to you first on this. What do you want from the National Second League? I want some rivalries, guys. I want some rivalries. That's what I think, um, and a bit of passion. I think that's what's been lacking in, you know, some of the A League in recent years is a bit of passion and a bit of these, you know, these true rivalries. And I think we'll get that from the second division. Obviously, there are problems and you know, or more so challenges with in terms of travel. That's the big cost here. Um, but I think if we can figure out a way of you know getting past that, or maybe we have to do. Um, you know, divisions or we have to do conferences, um, then that's what we'll have to do. But, you know, increasing the amount of games that teams can play in different states is awesome. I love the FFA Cup. We all do. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm really keen for this and hopefully we can get it off the ground. Well, I will never say no to more professional football in this country. Just bring it on. Uh, for me, the key is line it up with the A-League with the eye to eventual... Like, I am still unbelievably sceptical on promotion and relegation, but... You may as well just throw caution to the wind at this point for that. Now, um, the report saying uh, their proposals were affordable, affordable and feasible. The AAFCF estimate that the price of running a second tier uh, would reach up to $3.3 million. Participating clubs, per the report, will be required to pay an annual participation fee of $200,000 on top of an annual budget between $850,000 and $1.6 million. Now, Adam, yep. We told you to read the uh, entire 60-odd page report before yep. the show, so how'd you go with that? Yeah, recite yeah, look, the whole uh, thing right now. <laughs> <laughs> something, 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 something. Um, yeah. Look, um, the main take, I, I did read it. Um, look, it does seem like a very, very promising document. Um, obviously, the, the cost factor is going to be a very, very interesting one. Um, I, I'm, look, I, I'm not sure about down south as well, but I know up, up here in Queensland, especially some of the clubs that are, have, have sort of been linked to the, the original 32 of the AAFC, where they're going to find $2 million operating is absolutely beyond me. So I'm, I'm yet to be convinced about that. But look, talk, not to talk it down, but as far as um, what I found interesting is that um, they still haven't sort of settled on a preferred method as far as you know how the competition will look and the the three options that were laid out in the um in the white paper was that they're just a straight out national competition of 12 teams or a uh, conference system on a north and south of two by eight which that one i think is as well with, as campbell said about the um, travel uh cost that sort of takes it down from about 2.1 million to about 1.5 million centralized so that might be a good way of at least um of to keeping their travel cost down which is admittedly in the paper saying that's probably the biggest expense and burden that will be across the, the competition because obviously Australia being a large sort of you know, you know sort of you know constant but and also as well just the extended NPL final series but I think that's probably the lesser of the three because I think we still need that that tier between the A-League professional and the NPL level I think that's what the National Second Division would be yeah, I, th- I would probably prefer of the three of those models the one where it's a straight league home and away and the way you play it like that. I will also say the teams from Queensland who initially flagged their support to develop this this uh, in no particular orders. I'm looking at the graphic Gold Coast United, Peninsula Power, Olympic, Western Pride and Wynnum Wolves. They were the clubs from Queensland who showed an initial interest in setting up this, uh, this second division. Well. Big pardon? 
And Sunshine Coast. And Sunshine Coast as well. So they were the clubs who showed initial interest in setting it up. So you would assume they would be the clubs who would be most likely to be granted the first chance to enter that competition. But I would prefer the league, which is a straight home and away league, and you play each other once and away. If, it's, if that's feasible and affordable, that's why I would go. I really hope this happens because it provides an incentive for ambition for clubs in the second division. Yes, you've got the FA Cup, but now you can you can play in a league with the best teams in the second division in Australia. And perhaps if it does kick off and become a really solid, viable league, maybe by the time 2034 rolls around and the A-League clubs are no longer guaranteed to be in the top division, or they can work that out beforehand, maybe you can get promotion and relegation. So I really like this concept. Yep, I'm, I... Love, I love it in theory, although, look, from our knowledge of the Queensland clubs, I feel like even Western Pride, you know, playing in the FQ Premier League, they have actually, they actually have a fairly solid case, especially, you know, if you listen to me- certain members of the pit who have been advocating for this for a while, <laughs> just purely because it sounds like they're eager to see them team up with the Ipswich Rugby League bid for the next NRL team. And I feel like that'll uh, probably happen as well with Peninsula Power and the Redcliffe Dolphins um, Queensland Rugby League team. So you could wind up seeing uh, maybe not a Brisbane rivalry coming up, but the uh, line that really jumped out to me from this story, under the plans, players would initially be semi-professional with the intention that clubs would seek to rapidly professionalise once viable. So basically, it's going to just be what is now a national NPL competition because, as we know, the players there are, well, officially amateurs, although I get uh, based on some of the reported salaries being thrown around in uh, a certain state beginning with V and ending in Victoria <laughs> so, some of those uh, amateurs are probably earning more than I am in my day job. stream access to that state as well, given the amount of players who've moved down there too, by the way <laughs> Yeah, well, we'll cover that more at our NPL preview, but yeah, no salary cap would be introduced as well, but presumably they would have to have some sort of guaranteed minimum salary for the players, like we see in the A-League. But I suppose the question for me is, and Adam, we'll go to you first on this, how do you see this unfolding? Because how do you see the salary cap unfolding? Because I do feel like some clubs are going to wind up spending beyond their means just purely because they're going to have their eye on an A-League spot. Look, and one thing I think as well, I think... Not having Sarah Cup won't be sort of um, a, I guess, a, a hindrance to it because the the uh, the the paper also discusses that you know a way of offsetting a lot of the costs would be you know through the um, the the domestic transfer system, which that that I think will will be so sort of very pivotal to that because obviously you'll have you know in a way some some teams obviously will believe that they, they're better producers of talent and then they'll make their money by selling players on to the A-League on and maybe even overseas, which is something that the aspirations that are talked about in this paper, not at the commencement stage, but more at the sort of the establishment or the maturity stage, which they're looking at 2025 to 2028. So the the, the I guess the good thing about this um, discussion paper is that it does set out a vision for the next, you know, 10, 15 years, not just trying to say, oh, here's a, here's a competition in 2022, but we're bugging to know what will happen in 2023 or 2024. So there's been, look, I've got to say, you know, I'm, that, you know, I'm fairly impressed with what the AAFC have done as far as laying out this vision, because there's something that's sorely needed to fill that gap between the professional A-League and the amateur um, state leagues. Yeah, absolutely, and that gap does need to be bridged. That's a that's a fact. And 
I, I love the point about the stadiums and the Western Pride and Peninsula Power links with Dolphins and uh, the Ipswich Rugby League team. And I think that is a really important thing. And it says on the report that um, teams will have to have a minimum capacity of uh, 3,000, yeah. which is not incredibly high for that kind of state. But they also need to have 850,000 to 1.6 million in their budget. And no offence to Western Pride or, you know, any of the other... Brisbane teams. I don't see Winham. where 100. Yeah, Winham was the main one I was thinking of. <laughs> um, I don't see where 850,000 minimum, on top of an annual 200,000 budget, mm. where where that is. I don't see it um, at the moment. There's only one or two clubs in Queensland you can think of who would be able to make that work. But for the competition generally, James, to me it's very simple. You, no salary cap. Yes, transfer fees will play a partner. But if if somebody overextends themselves and ends up running into trouble, they get relegated back to their state level NPL. And then they have to work their way back up. It's very simple. If you overextend yep. yourself with, with no salary cap, it's your problem. And one thing that uh, will obviously play a role in, the, uh, I suppose, the finances of uh, the new competition will be the broadcasting arra- arrangements. And obviously, you know, the four of us, we're all quite invested in the media landscape of Australian football, all things considered, uh, without varying roles. Presumably as well... Like, we've heard the rumours of the FFA TV app uh, possibly being brought about. You know, there's always Optus just off in the distance, you know, as the potential saviour of the A-League broadcast deal. So you do wonder, I suppose, Scott, where will like where do you see the interest level being uh, coming in broadcasting this tournament? I think the majority of games would be on some sort of an app, whether it's a My Football Live app, the MPL TV, or something else akin to that as it is right now. But I can also see someone like depending on the construct of the actual division, I can see someone like SBS picking up a match of the round here because they have a they have a strong tie to the old National Soccer League, as you like to call it, James, in terms of that was the league they covered on television for a long time. They've been familiar with these clubs and I can see them potentially being interested in picking up a game of the round and showing it on TV, which would be an actually... If, provided that game goes around and you get everyone on there at least once or twice over the course of the year, that's a really good way for good publicity for anybody in that competition to be involved. So I can see something like that. But it depends on if the if the FA and everyone else is going to merge together and work out a deal to get all onto the one broadcast. But I think that's the first thing to keep an eye on. Is it going to be the same partner across the A-League and W-League, the MPL, the second division, and the national teams? If it's going to be the same one, then it's going to have to be negotiated together, which will be very interesting to see how that pans out because... That does you, you've got a lot of different different products there with different interest levels, and how you marry that up to find the right partner for all of them is going to be very very interesting. And on that as well, you are going to have more than just the tw- alleged uh, eleven uh, eleven or twelve team twenty two round home and away season to broadcast because it sounds like there's going to be a requirement for every team to field a men's and women's team as well and Adam I know this is something that you've uh, said so many times before here and I'll let you verbalize it once again that you know your thoughts on the fact that certain A-League clubs don't have a W-League license as well yeah that's exactly it it's not only that but also the MPL level um, is that it's the fact is yeah that you know it's got to be a whole club thing Um, the one thing that is mentioned uh, briefly in in the um, discussion paper is that they'd be looking at a women's uh, national second division by 2025. So we did see a rumour on um, Facebook about said differently, but uh, 
But yeah, now 2025 they're looking at, but yeah, that's the one thing that needs to happen is that it's got to be more of a whole of a club um, approach where you got to have a men's and women's at that level. Um, at, like I said, at NPL level, we've I've been saying for a long time it's got to be men's, women's, and both you know a under 18s or boys and under under 18 girls. So that that's something that's so important as well, especially again with the women's World Cup coming up. That it's only opportunities that could be feeding into that. Yeah, we've had this around a few times about certain NPL clubs not bothering to have a women's team. If you look at the actual clubs in this initial white paper, Gold Coast, you know, we know they've got teams in both. They were very successful in the women's competition. Last year, Olympic FC, they're joining along with a Peninsula Power in the NPL this year in 2021. Western Pride are rejoining it as well. I'm not sure about Wynnum Wolves or Sunshine Coast. No Sunshine Coast used to have a team in the women's competition, but I don't think those two do now. So you probably look at... trolls. Big pardon? Apparently they're holding trolls. Are they? Well, there you go. <laughs> but you, if you look at that criteria, Gold Coast, Olympic and Peninsula Power would be the three that would be able to fit that mould, the best of the Queensland clubs. Definitely. Okay, so the final point that I wanted to uh, circle back around to, and we've talked about the Queensland clubs that are on the initial list that uh, Scott ran off as well, uh, based on some of the responses we've seen to the questions, though that is not the final short list of uh, clubs that would be considered for admission. So presumably the lot, uh, like the some of the bigger clubs we've seen, like uh, the ones that play out of Parc de Paris at Bowen Hills, uh, they would love to try and get... Um, They'd love to try and get a little bit more involved, I suppose. Once Now that there's something a little bit more concrete for them to try and get involved in. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see as well. And that's it. I th- everyone's been very, very quick to point out that that's not the 32 that will go into um, you know, the, the National Second Division being considered. You'd think that now that you know, there's some glare, especially in... Queensland some glaring omissions from that um, from that list and you'd think that you know something more concrete you know that you you'd think that they will you now show a bit more interest in it whereas before it was you know sort of almost pie in the sky stuff exactly so sounds that's going to be a tough fight that though isn't it is it going to be just teams picking and choosing their way in or is it going to be based purely on merit if it starts in 2024 will it be teams in 2023 who do well that sort of thing I think it should be probably done on merit to be honest but mm-hmm. I highly doubt Given the self-interest of some of the clubs on that list down south, yeah. I highly doubt they would be willing to forego that automatic entry. I do think they do. Uh, well, similar to what the A-League did when it started up, I do think you need a cap on admissions from any individual state. And you don't necessarily have to go for the one city, one club idea that the A-League had when it started, Campbell. But surely, you know, you want to say, okay, at most, you know, two Victorian, two New South Wales, two Queensland teams... Uh, or maximum of two teams per state just to try and bring it around because you've got the likes of Canberra and uh, Hobart as we've seen today really pushing for admission to the national football uh, setup. Yeah, absolutely. I think there definitely needs to be, I mean, when you look at it, at least a minimum of two teams per state per, you know, in the league. Otherwise, it becomes dominated by Victorian teams and New South Wales teams. And, you know, some of the teams in Canberra and in um, Hobart or in Tasmania might not be able to support a team. So it's a little bit tough. Do you go one team to uh, Tasmania, one team to Canberra, and then, you know, two to the other other three big states and maybe an Adelaide team? Um, It's a tough one. Maybe to a Perth team, that might be a bit expensive. But I think there's only a handful of teams in Queensland that can really fit that merit and cost criteria and also just clubs of a certain stature and uh, fan base. Um, I think you have to look at, 
I mean, I'd say strikers, but they seem to be having an interesting way of going at the moment. Brisbane City is probably a shout based on their history, but also going an interesting way. Olympics probably a shout as well as Peninsula Power. To me, they're the kind of four big clubs, or maybe Lions as well. Um, obviously, they've got a history with the A-League and the Raw, but I think they're the kind of big five clubs at the moment and the ones that potentially deserve it in Queensland. Yeah, exactly. And there is uh, a whole lot still to be sorted out, but... Look, we've all been fairly sceptical. I mean, well, Scott, Adam, and I, I don't want to speak for you there, Campbell, but <laughs> we have been quite sceptical in terms of the, you know, dreams of a national second division. But like, there's not a lot you can really say wrong at this stage of the planning with the report that's come out. I should also point out, though, I did see Channel 9 saying the WA wants to apparently secede from Australia and become its own independent nation. So forget the glory, forget any other uh, WA clubs. We don't, yeah, we don't need them. <laughs> well, I mean, we, we've seen it before. <laughs> there we go. All right. Um, two more stories that I do want to uh, touch on quickly before we uh, finish up for the night. First of all, uh, Jamie Young sounds like he's going to be out after a contact injury in training. I just want to know who the idiot was that kicked him in the knee. But uh, <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure he's uh, received plenty of. Uh, grief from his teammates over the last little while and yeah who didn't make the squad this week was that <laughs> <laughs> I think well, I think that... for his protection hopefully that never gets out to the fan base <laughs> exactly yeah it'll be like uh, Rex Burkhead in the AFC championship a few years ago when he ripped open Brady's hand yeah yeah <laughs> just as a, just as a flashback to happier times for I don't know who you Cleveland playing next week Anyway. Got, got pretty quiet there, boys. <laughs> yeah, this won't get awkward at all. Anyway. Um, yeah, so Bon Scott comes in as an injury replacement. So you've got the Freak Show and ACDC playing down, playing goalkeeper <laughs> for the Raw. I'm trying to work out who would be the uh, next cab off the rank in terms of just finding the best-named goalkeeper that they can. And have you guys got any ideas? I'm, I'm throwing it open to the floor here. I haven't no. got a name for you, but oh, Luke Borey and certain an eccentric character, that might <laughs> also fit in quite well. Yep. L- Lollipop Luke Borey, and there we go. <laughs> Choco Hunter, maybe? Yeah, there uh, Something. And the final story that uh, we will touch on is confirmation. Uh, we did talk about this on... Was that Sunday night? Uh, yeah, Sunday. After the W League? Yeah. Okay, there we go. W League match uh, finally has a venue. Confirmed uh, Melbourne victory this Friday night, 8.05 kickoff Brisbane time at the Croatian Sports Centre, home of Gold Coast Knights. So, uh, presumably, uh, the broadcast team will be setting up in the Tower of Terror, as you've called it there, Scott. It's really not that scary, though. I see Adam Christian of that, not me. I can't oh, okay. take credit for that. Yeah, well, thank there you very we much. Go. Yeah. yeah, it's not that scary, although I have hit my head climbing it a few times for the NPL. Well, that's terror, isn't it? No, that's just a concussion. <laughs> anyway, yes, so, um, yeah, that's confirmed. According to the Raw Supporters Federation as well, I'll give them a second plug here, saying apparently that's being done because the Gold Coast is not considered a hotspot according to Victorian, uh, according to the Victorian government, so that will allow Melbourne Victory to fly up, play the game, stay on the coast, and fly back. They won't, they won't need to apply for a permit, so um, yeah. it's, a, it's a green zone compared to an orange zone up the road in Brisbane. So, so yeah, so it, it's... Uh, it's a good, uh, good move. Um, yeah, times are, the the kickoff times a bit uh, interesting, but um, they might be trying to cash in on some of the um, 
on the many uh, long weekenders that will be going down the coast. Yes. Yeah, certainly an odd. It's an odd pick, isn't it, um, Gold Coast? But I mean, it makes sense in this case, and the timing is a little bit odd to me. Well, I'm actually also wondering. Uh, I have to double check. I'm fairly certain the A League on Friday night is a single game at six o'clock Brisbane time. So I'm wondering if it's going to all of a sudden fill that second broadcast window that uh, they've got on Fox Sports. Seems that way, doesn't it, James? That's what they're going to be doing with it. I'm sure the victory players are absolutely heartbroken about spending a, an extra day down on the Gold Coast. I'm sure they're going to be absolutely uh, distraught with that possibility. And also, for the record, for those counting along, this is now the this is now about to be the 13th venue in Queensland that the Raw WWE team have called home over the last 12 years. So they've certainly played around the place. There we go, and I think that state is a perfect way to uh, wrap up this edition of the Brisbane Football Review. Campbell, you still feeling uh, glad you came on tonight? Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, young optimism. We'll get that out of you before too long. Thank you, Adam. And he, and he, yeah, and he didn't swear either. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying not to. <laughs> Conscious don't. effort. Yeah. Conscious yeah. effort. Unlike if, we, if we lost, maybe it'd be different. Yeah, doing <laughs> yeah. a lot better than uh, a certain former guest who is now working for the Olympics in Japan. Yeah, maybe yeah. I need to start swearing. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, thank you, Scott. Yeah, thank you, James. Yeah. No, don't you can we be back in yeah. no time? Oh, yep. Cheers for having me, guys. I really yep. appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thank you, and thanks everyone for listening to this edition of the show. It's well been a fairly cheery one, and thanks for the three of you for overcoming my internet issues as well. We'll be back with another show next week as we look forward to another weekend of Brisbane Raw football. Thanks everyone for listening, and we will talk to you later on the Brisbane Football Review.